1: Welcome to Voice of a Nation. Today, we're going to be hard-hitting on a critical topic, myocarditis in children. What is it? What does it mean for children and their future? And what is the danger if you allow your children to get these experimental vaccines that are triggering heart damage? This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm on our platform, America Out Loud, where we hit the hard-hitting issues and get people involved to speak out and get loud to stand up against the medical cancel culture, medical tyranny, vaccine mandates, and lack of access to early treatment. Today, I have a guest back with me who had a fantastic interview with us on our platform a couple of weeks ago on vaccination of children. Dr. Mark McDonald trained in both adult and child and adolescent psychiatry at UCLA and achieved double board certification in both adult psychiatry as well as child and adolescent psychiatry. He has training in adult psychoanalysis and specializes now in child and adolescent psychiatry. Interestingly enough, Dr. McDonald has lived and worked in Europe, Asia, and Central America and is proficient in Japanese, Spanish, and French, and of course, in addition to his native English. He has studied classical music, History and Literature, and has taught in public schools. What an amazing breadth of background to be talking about the medical, psychological, and psychosocial issues that are coming at us and disrupting our families, our lives, our churches, our communities, our medical systems, our economy, all of it. Dr. McDonald, welcome back to the show today, and thank you so much for coming back to be with us on Voice of a Nation.
2: Delighted to be back, Lee. I have been receiving so much support and positive comments from people that I've never met or spoken to following the uh, publication of the last podcast, and that's really gratifying.
1: Well, I appreciate your being here. We are two physicians Talking about all that has gone on, because many of our listeners know that I'm also a physician in practice, actively treating COVID patients as early outpatient treatment have been doing that for the last year, and treating patients with the complications of the vaccines. So we are both on the front lines trying to help bring medical reason and balance to the discussion to combat the withholding of information that is happening with our public health officials and our local officials as well. Tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods in California with the program of vaccinating children and what's happening medically with some of the things that you are aware of in the Los Angeles area.
2: Unfortunately, it's only getting worse and it's getting worse on two fronts. Uh, the first is the medical and then the second, which I'll discuss um, shortly is the psychological. I can barely even keep up with the medical complications that have been reported both officially and unofficially arising as a direct consequence of the uh, what I call the, the almost forced, certainly coerced vaccination of children here in California. Uh, as you know, we have a governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, who has been on a tour in the last few weeks to go to amusement parks and announce how many people per day are vaccinated under age 18 as if it's uh, some sort of a, a challenge and a contest. And in fact, he does have contests. He's been giving away between 10000 to $1 million every day to lucky lottery recipients who have submitted their names as having been vaccinated. In fact, he just said a couple of days ago to the press here in Los Angeles at Universal Studios uh, that he just loves his job uh, because he gets to give away money. Of course, it's not his money, he's playing Santa Claus with our money, but he's just having a a grand old time doing it. As this is going on, uh, the teachers unions here in Los Angeles County, the second largest school district in the country, have announced that they are partnering with uh, Gavin Newsom and, and others at the county level to require that all students return to school in the fall with masks. That includes teachers, staff, and students. Uh, I believe that the reason for this is to ratchet down and and turn the screws on parents and children to get as high of a vaccination rate as possible before school returns in the fall in August or September. In order to uh, drop the mask mandate, uh, no, no parent wants to have their child go to school with a mask. And if all of the students uh, are coerced into getting vaccinated as, as a prelude to re- being rewarded by dropping a mask mandate, uh, that will increase the vaccination rates. Now, all of this is, this is, is happening. It's abhorrent,
1: Mark. This it's really awful. It is abhorrent.
2: Um... It's just awful.
1: I I can't ever comprehend any time in our lives where you and I as physicians have seen people being not only coerced, but bribed to take an experimental treatment.
2: It's never happened before. And it violates all medical ethics and probably law as well, although I'm not an attorney. I'm a physician. And as this is happening, I think it's fair to say that it is increasing in direct proportion to the reports of severe medical complications from the vaccines. If the vaccines were so safe and they were so um, effective and necessary, bribes would not be on the table. The fact that they are and they're increasing is very similar to what you see at an airport when a flight gets canceled or the seats are oversold and the stewardess comes on and says on the intercom would someone please be willing to give up your seat for a hundred dollars and we'll put you on the next flight as we all know nobody jumps at that offer because they know that if they wait they're going to get more and the longer you wait the higher the price goes until it's 500 plus a hotel room plus a round trip ticket to france well, that's what's happening now is vaccination rates decline as people start staying away from the clinics because they're not interested in these vaccines. The dollar reward, the marijuana offer up in Oregon, the beer that Dr. Biden, Dr. Biden, President Biden has been offering the American citizens around the country it just keeps going up and up and up. And I think that should raise a question in anyone's mind, regardless of what you believe about these vaccines. If they're so safe and effective, why are people being paid in order to get them?
1: Well, that's exactly right. And in fact, it makes it, in my mind, even more diabolical that they are withholding information on the risk and the complications and the life-threatening situation with myocarditis in children. They're withholding that from the public and covering it up. At the same time, they are bribing people with all of these uh, things, uh, lucrative offers that they know are playing to the weaknesses of people. It's the same diabolical approach that triggers people into developing gambling addictions. They're they're gambling with their lives with these vaccines.
2: I just heard a report from a healthcare worker, specifically an ICU nurse in central California who will not go on the record because she's concerned about losing her job and also no longer being able to provide this information which is not available to the public outside of a a insider hospital setting because it's all being suppressed. And she said that in her hospital, it's not a large city, not, not LA, central California, small town, in her hospital, She is now treating five children in the ICU for acute myocarditis post-vaccination. I've never heard of such a thing. When I was in residency, I saw dozens of cases of myocarditis, none of them in children, all of them in in older adults, mostly uh, people who have had complications from some form of heart disease. It's very uncommon to see it in a child, to have five children in a a moderate-sized city in central California after a vaccination, all of whom were healthy before they got their shot in the ICU for myocarditis is alarming. We have not heard about this in the news, but I have heard from others that it's happening all over California and all over the rest of the country. And I believe that the reason why it's not being reported and not getting out is it would cause absolute panic across the nation, the number of children that are getting sick. The CDC just last week, admitted that they had to hold an emergency meeting about this myocarditis outbreak post-vaccination in children, and yet their emergency meeting was delayed for five days, five days. And after they announced the new date of the meeting, they then delayed it again until next week in order to observe Juneteenth, a new federal holiday that only came into existence three days ago. So. They're playing it on both ends at the federal level. They're announcing that we have a myocarditis emergency, and yet they're not meeting to discuss the emergency. So we're not being informed, we're not being told the truth, nothing is transparent. And I'm hearing more and more complications, starting out with the menstrual regularities, the headaches, the problems with potential fertility risks, and now in children myocarditis, which if the reports are accurate out of Israel, where they saw a 25 times increased rate in myocarditis in kids in vaccinated kids compared to non-vaccinated, if that rate occurred here in the U.S. with the Pfizer vaccine, which is the one that's used in Israel, we would see over 100,000 children by the end of the year with myocarditis, which is a serious and life-threatening condition.
1: I think there's a great likelihood that that we will see that, and perhaps more so, because the common theme in all of the complications you just quickly listed, ovarian damage, fertility issues, menstrual irregularities, myocarditis, and many of the neurologic aspects are all tied back to the fact that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines trigger the body to make billions of the spike protein of the coronavirus, which is what is damaging to the organs the spike protein triggers massive inflammatory damage micro blood clots and that is the what is causing the myocarditis the ovarian damage testicular damage it it is staggering what is happening and we you're right we've never seen myocarditis as a widespread complication in children, it's usually m- much older people who have a history of heart disease and are at risk for inflammation inflammatory damage of, of the heart muscle. So I I think this is something that you as a in your role working with children, adolescents and their parents, what are what are you doing to in your practice to warn parents about the risk?
2: Something that I have been really concerned about over the last year and now in the last couple of months since the push, the target really of the uh, campaign for vaccination has focused almost exclusively on children is the, the psychological coercion that's being placed on the parents and very specifically mothers And I think this is intentional, and this is why I speak to them as often as I can whenever they're in my office. Mothers, women and mothers are the same thing, but but women who are mothers, I should say, are naturally inclined to act very protectively towards their children. If there's a threat, Uh, mothers jump to their defense. That's, I believe, inherent biologically in women uh, who have children. Women mothers have been primed all year long to be afraid. This pandemic started out as a pandemic of fear and it continues that way. This is my view and it has been since the very beginning in March of 2020. And that fear has been used and manipulated in different ways throughout the year to achieve specific non-medical ends, political ends, economic ends, social ends. The current end is universal mass vaccination in children. That's the goal. How do you achieve that? Well you have to scare the mothers into believing that if their children don't get this shot, that they're going to be sick, they're going to die, they're certainly not gonna be able to go back to school, they won't be able to get by without wearing masks, they'll be ostracized from play groups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on and on and on. So the mothers come in and when I ask them, are you considering getting a vaccine for your child or have you got it? Most of the time, they will tell me that they're scared or that they're worried or that they feel pressured to get the vaccine for their child because they're told that it's not safe for their child to go without it. Of course, I inform them that it's the other way around, that their child is far safer without it and doesn't need the vaccine and shouldn't get it. But it's very hard for me to make that argument rationally when the parents are so scared and they're so emotionally captured. I think that this has been a very effective campaign, targeting the mothers to be afraid. And I also believe that it's been successful in large part because of the silence and absence of the men, of the fathers, of the husbands. I believe that men today, certainly in the last few years, but increasingly now in the last year, have been so silent and so um, intimidated, into standing up and speaking out against this emotionally driven, irrational campaign of harm and fear that the mothers are unfortunately just left to fend for themselves. And all they have to drive themselves forward with is their fear. I think this point has not been discussed enough. And I think it's so critical to this uh, nefarious campaign underway to get vaccinations and shots into the arms of every child.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I think you have nailed it on that, I have been shocked at the degree to which exactly your observation, men have been silent. In fact, I just had that very discussion with one of my patients yesterday, who himself does not, he's the father of a young woman in her twenties who has very high risk of adverse events. I mean, I am the physician for their daughter and have been for some time and and found a number of medical problems that had been overlooked by her other uh, primary care people. And she has some very serious medical problems and some potential neurologic issues as well. And the father said to me, I am having a hard time Standing up to my wife, who is insistent that our daughter get vaccinated, I was encouraged that our daughter, although she didn't say much on our conference call, I was encouraged that she seemed to be listening to what you were saying. Meaning me, as I was explaining, it's a fertility issue for her, it's a medical issue, it's a neuropsych issue for her if she gets this vaccine and has massive inflammatory reactions throughout her body. And the mother is has absolutely been totally indoctrinated by not only the campaign of fear but perhaps liberal ideology that says the government is correct and we must listen to only the CDC and the FDA and what do you Dr. Lee, no. I mean, you're just a private practice doctor. What do you know against all these experts? I mean, the whole gamut of reactions. And that's what the father was talking with me about. He wants an evaluation himself to consider, does he have medical reasons not to get the vaccine? Because he's alarmed about it, but he, he cannot break through to his wife.
2: What you just said describe that, that story that occurred is in, in, in large generalizable degree exactly what happens in my practice every day. And I've heard yeah. it from other colleagues as well. I, I think this is uh, key to understanding how Americans have been manipulated into pushing vaccines on their children. I think that we were primed from a year ago for the absence of balancing and complementarity roles of the mothers and fathers so that mothers can be easily drawn towards an emotionally-based, irrational, yet well-intentioned position that without the fathers jumping in and providing some context and containment, will simply barrel down the road of having all the kids vaccinated. A man came into my practice just a few days ago and announced happily that both of his daughters had been vaccinated. And I asked him, why did you, why did you uh, agree to this? And he kind of looked a bit shocked because he thought I would congratulate him. And I was in fact questioning him. And he said, well, you know what? I wasn't actually involved in it at all. My wife took care of all of that. And she wanted it. And so did my daughter. And I didn't want to get in the way. Wow. I very gently suggested that there were problems and risks. And was he aware of these risks and dangers? And he said, no, I wasn't involved at all. I haven't heard about any of these risks. I don't even want to know about them. He became more and more (laughs) perturbed as I brought it up. And I realized in that moment, since I've never really talked with him about this before, that this man is essentially an absent husband and an absent father he is not playing the role of the man in the family. He is passive. He is uh, scared. Uh, he wants his wife to basically run the show. And even though he admitted that what I had to say was reasonable and concerning, he did not want to actually put his um, husband position on the line with his wife because he was worried about the blowback. And this, this sounds almost silly when people will hear this and say, oh, that that's just not possible. That's that's not what's happening. It's happening, it's happening all over the place. It's happening everywhere in Los Angeles and in large cities. I think this is a disaster. And I really truly believe that unless the men, the fathers and the husbands stand up to this and speak out and contain this this hysteria that has been inoculated into their wives and the mothers of their children. I don't think we're going to be able to get a hold of this and shut it down.
1: I I think you are. I think you're hitting some critically important points, and the hysteria is a good word because I, I am struck in my own practice. I mean, I've had most of my patients have been with me for many years, and most of them have consistently trusted me to look out for the big picture of their health. And even if it's something out of my medical focus in my work with them, I teach them questions to ask their other specialist. And they know that I do that. They know that I look at the big picture. They know that I look at all their medicines, all their supplements. I look at interactions and, and I take that 35,000 foot view of their health. So they come to me with a lot of questions. And what is surprising to me with that longevity, with that level of trust that has been there, that even when I have given a balanced risk benefit discussion with them about the vaccine risk risk, about the experimental nature of them, about the inflammation and blood clot risk, and talked with them about safer options. I'm shocked at how many gave in to the peer pressure, the social pressure, the media pressure, and went ahead and got the vaccine. And now I'm treating the complications of the vaccine. And the you, just put, you just put with- your
2: finger on such an important point that it's not about risk-benefit argument, what's better, what's worse, which is the way that you've been operating and practicing as most ethical, all ethical doctors have been in their entire career. There's something else going on that is creating and leading to the decisions that these parents are making. And it has nothing to do with evidence or science. And I think if, if, we, if we start with that premise, I think it leads us to a very logical and I think reasonable conclusion, which is that it's coming from coercion, it's coming from emotion, it's coming from misinformation.
1: Well, I, w- I want us to go in into more depth after the break on that point, coercion and, and fear. And the third point you just mentioned?
2: Misinformation or propaganda.
1: Yes. I want to come back to that after the break, but I wanted to say something relative to the father you just mentioned While it's it's fresh in our discussion. And that is what I am now saying when someone says to me, I don't want to know about the complications, then I do my best to say to them, if I don't teach you what the complications are, I can't teach you how to manage them and understand the treatments that are available to prevent serious damage. And that's a message I want our listeners to know. The fact that you've gotten the vaccine does not mean that you should sit back and close your mind and and your ears and your brain to information about what the complications can be because there are ways to treat those complications. But if you don't get on top of them early, then you risk long-term damage to your health. So on that note, let's take a brief break and we will be back and talk more about the psychological manipulation of the public. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, talking with Dr. Mark McDonald about vaccination in children, the medical risk and the psychological risk. We will be right back in just a few minutes
0: listen to malcolm the voice of a nation on iHeartRadio or our free apps on apple android or alexa
3: because of covid19 the average american worries about their immune health four times a day that's 112 times per year To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients, like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a -a one-a-day, pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural, too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Superboost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
4: Liberty and justice for all.
1: Welcome back to the Voice of a Nation with our guest today, Dr. Mark McDonald, a board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist practicing in Los Angeles. And we are talking about what he's experiencing in his practice with the rising rates of myocarditis in children after the vaccination that is being pushed on children, even though children were excluded from the clinical trials. And we have no safety data from any clinical trials because they weren't in the clinical trials. And these are still experimental. They are not fully FDA approved. And yet parents are being pushed to get their children vaccinated. Welcome back, Dr. McDonald. Let's talk Thanks, Dr. Lee. about your concerns about the propaganda campaign, the psychological manipulation through fear and coercion. I think that's critical.
2: As we were uh, breaking, i uh, I think an illustrative example of what I'm talking about that encapsulates everything you just said came to mind. I started seeing a 16-year-old patient recently and treating him with medication. His parents came in uh, and very appropriately uh, concerned about his safety, well-being, and asked if uh, the medications that I was prescribing uh, were safe and effective. Uh, I said, absolutely, they are, uh, and I've been using them for years. These parents uh, both were vaccinated and wearing masks in the room and insisted that they keep their masks on because in their words, I had not yet been vaccinated. I asked them why it would matter and they couldn't explain it. They just said, I feel better when I wear a mask when when I'm around someone who hasn't been vaccinated. And I let them do it because that wasn't the point. The point was their son. Well, they're completely on board with getting their son vaccinated as they have received their own. And yet, and yet, just yesterday, I got a call from the mother who said, you know, I did some research on those medications that you prescribed for my son. One of them has not been FDA approved for use in children yet. And I just don't feel comfortable continuing to give him that medication. So I I, I had him stop it a few days ago. And I was completely stunned. Here's a woman who is insistent that her child receive a experimental product that has not even been tested, much less approved for use in children. And she will not allow me to prescribe an off-label use of a medication that has been used by millions of adults and children over the last eight years, simply because it hasn't gone through all the stages of FDA trials and approval for the under 18 population. I think what this this represents to me from a psychological point of view is a compartmentalization in the way that adults, particularly mothers of children right now, are thinking about in terms of treatment for vaccines and other medical treatments for their kids. They're still understandably very careful about weighing risks and benefits in all forms of medical treatment for their kids, as they have been for years and appropriately so. But they are unable to do it and unwilling to do it when it comes to the vaccines. There is a a block in that part of their, their brain when it comes to considering a vaccination. There has been an incredibly effective campaign in telling parents that for this one particular treatment, the only one, we will no longer assess actual evidence. Everything will be driven by emotion, by bribes and by threats of punishment, period, end of story. And that is how they're reaching their decisions.
1: I I, Again, I I just find it stunning and And, you know, what you're describing is something I see as well. (laughs) I mean, this is widespread because I've had mothers, mostly mothers, say exactly the same thing, that they cannot see the discrepancy in the fact that they go through this detailed questioning about an FDA-approved medicine we've used for years And yet they're asking no questions about the experimental vaccine that wasn't even tested in any of the groups that it's being pushed out to right now. Children, COVID recovered, COVID exposed, people with autoimmune disorders. It's staggering. I,
2: I ask myself this question every day, how did it happen and what can we do about it? And I've reached the conclusion that even though information can be helpful, as you were just describing with your other patient, it's not necessarily effective, even if you have a strong relationship of trust with the patient. I believe that because these conclusions and even their sort of way of going about thinking, if you wanna call it thinking, towards the idea of vaccinating a child has been driven so much by emotion, so much by hysteria, as the entire uh, Wuhan virus uh, pandemic situation has been from the very beginning. For that reason, I am doubtful that a rational and reasoned campaign will be effective in changing hearts and minds. I think that in order to succeed on a larger scale, you'll have a, a few random successes because there's always outliers, but on a larger societal scale, that the the only way to turn the tide against this this irrational march off the cliff is to actually capture and infiltrate the emotional aspects, the emotional areas of the brain that have been hijacked, and release them back to the ownership of the the carrier <laughs> of the mother of the wife. I don't think that um, that simply. Talking to people and giving them information will be sufficient. I think it's very important, but I don't think it's sufficient. I think we have to actually um, speak to people on a very emotional level first, so that the information can penetrate.
1: All right. What are some suggestions? I think that's I think that's a critical point because if if it has been driven by emotion, then we must appeal to emotion because the rational brain cannot function in a state of fear. And Correct. you know that from our medical training and your in-depth training in psychiatry. If, if someone is paralyzed by fear, the rational brain isn't operating normally. So how? what are your suggestions as a board certified psychiatrist for all age groups What are your suggestions on how we reach our get our concerns to the public? What are some avenues that we can use?
2: I have some ideas. Uh, The first is I think that we have been largely uh, operating on the assumption that we need to bring people over to our side. And we do that because we know that our side is correct. It has more evidence, it's more rational, uh, it is uh, proven. And so you would assume that everyone would want to come over to that, that side, why wouldn't they? But it doesn't work for the reasons we just discussed. I think that it would be more effective to actually move over to their side. And I don't mean an argument level, but I mean on an emotional level, understand where emotionally the other side is sitting. And then from that position, express curiosity and interest so that that person who is emotionally hijacked begins to trust and feel on an emotional level, not a a cognitive one, that you are an ally and that you were there to help. And I think as physicians, it's difficult to do that because we want to provide information. And we certainly want to offer support and we want to help, but when we start from an informational point of view, when someone is emotionally so hyper-engaged and and perhaps traumatized, it's just not effective. So what I've tried to do with patients is to, for example, a mother comes to me and starts talking about vaccinations. I first express some curiosity. Well, tell me more about how you reached your conclusion. How do you feel about this vaccination of your child. Uh, What led you to feel that it was so important? You must be really concerned about the health and safety of your child. Of course you are. You love your child. I really want to know more about that. I try to express interest and curiosity about their emotional position, their, their need to protect and care for their child, which is completely natural and helpful, but it obviously has been misused so that I can understand where they're coming from emotionally. I think that's a really good starting point. And then you get all kinds of really interesting information, all emotionally twisted, of course, about how that person reached her decision. And it's usually not methodical. I rarely have a mother say, well, I researched all the data. I found that the risks and benefits were et cetera, et cetera. Because if they did that, they wouldn't be in my office. Usually what they'll say is something very personal. Um, You know, my cousin's nephew's son's friend, who was 16, went into the ICU after getting infected with the Wuhan virus. And I just, I could never, ever live knowing that my child could have been protected and I didn't do what I needed to do. Something like that. That's really important information. Or they'll say, you know what, I don't really have a position on the vaccine, but All of my friends' mothers are having their children get it. And I am so scared that my child will not be able to play with his friends and will be ostracized and he'll be isolated. And I was a a lonely child growing up. And I know what it's like to not be cared about and to not be invited over to social groups. And I could never live with myself to see that my child has to suffer what I had to suffer. These are the kinds of stories that I hear. And that makes a lot of sense to me. It makes a lot of sense on an emotional level. And then once you have that information, then you can proceed in an appropriate way to offer alternative ways of looking at things. But you can't skip that step. If you do, then what's going to happen is the parent's going to silently think, wow, this woman's getting me a lot of information, or this man, this physician is giving me a lot of information. But this doctor just doesn't understand what it's like to be a mother right now. I'm trying to protect my child. I mean, I'm sure that you know she's really smart and knows a lot, but she doesn't know what it's like to, to have to live with the, the thought that your child could be devastated socially or medically, and then she'll nod her head and she'll, she'll say, yes, I understand. And then she'll go home and say, oh, thank God, I don't have to put up with that anymore. I'm just here to save my child. I think that's what's going on right now. And I, I think that if, um, if more uh, doctors uh, were to adopt that, that position, that uh, uh, approach, I think they would be more successful. And they'd also learn a lot. I think, about where these, uh, these mothers are coming from and, and where the illogical, hysterical positions um, are being built on. You
1: know, I think that's an excellent idea. And it, it goes to the heart of the relationship in psychiatry in going to where the patient is and understanding their emotional state, their fears, their worries, and, and then helping them By understanding that it's the the ancient concept of physician as healer that we enter into the suffering with the patient and then help them come out of the quicksand pit by extending a hand, but we're willing to get in it at the edge with them to help them through it. And I think that's a beautiful description of the power of the relationship that you have with your patients and with their their mothers especially. And I hope that some of our listeners, both the parents and the physicians who may be listening, will think about those ideas that you've suggested. And I actually think we would be wise to perhaps gear some formal educational programs around that theme, overcoming fear.
2: I think a program about overcoming fear, and this of course is directed at all Americans, both sexes, but certainly specifically tailored to the mothers and the women, because I think that that is a lot, to a large degree, the source of the hysteria. And I don't mean this as a criticism of women. I think it's, a, it's to their credit that they are emotionally attuned and easily uh, influenced, um, but it can also be misused. A conversation and a dialogue and a, a educational program about how that can go awry is so important. And I think to do it in conjunction with a targeted educational approach to the need for men on their end to express fearlessness and courage, not only because it's important for men to do this in order to be a man and a husband and a father, but because it is necessary and needed for the women in their lives. The men need the women and the women need the men, and they're not actually available to one another right now. The men have been cowed and emasculated and feminized in a bad way, and the women have been sort of left on their own to try to fend for themselves in the midst of these insane emotional propaganda campaigns to feed off of their hysteria and to become so overprotective and irrational that they're actually harming their children when they don't mean to both sexes need to work together and they both have their strengths and weaknesses. And unfortunately the weaknesses have been uh, provoked and the strengths have been uh, decimated and the reverse needs to happen. And I think that if people were to start thinking about this, I think it would become obvious what's happening. This is not that complicated in my view, but it just isn't discussed.
1: No, I think that's, I think that's correct. And I I also see that when we are looking at the way in which women's emotional protectiveness for their children is being manipulated in a very diabolical way, I, I think that it makes such an educational campaign even more important. And trying to craft that in a way to help men regain their strengths and their leadership is, is not to undermine, as you said, it's not to undermine women's leadership role, but it's to have women have some support. I know dealing with some of the life-threatening medical challenges in my own family at times, I felt very alone as a physician, trying to be a wife and a physician to help my husband through some of his life-threatening situations. And when he was too ill to be an ally in the discussion, it's a very uh, frightening alone feeling. And I think you are summarizing that's where a lot of women are today. And what what many people don't realize is that it's been traditional. And, and this goes back for the whole time I've been in medicine. Women make about 90% of the healthcare decisions for the family. It's been their role. It's a very positive one. Men tend to play ostrich to their health problems. It's just the way men are wired. They tend to dismiss problems and then they get really bad. Women are attuned to their families, their husbands, their children in ways that help them pick up on when something is awry and help them advocate for those they love. And as you said, that's a strength. So we've that that is what has been manipulated in such diabolical ways, because it's been deliberate. It's absolutely been deliberate. And I don't think Many people are calling it a deliberate manipulation, as you and I are addressing.
2: They're not, uh, because they, they're not tracing this back historically. This didn't start a year ago. Uh, it was an opportunity to exacerbate an already existent problem. Women have been primed to be afraid for a very long time, uh, decades and decades. They've been lied to uh, by government bodies, by uh, corporations, by certainly by media and academia, to believe that, that the world is out to get them. Uh, men are certainly uh, horrible perpetrators of mass rape. Uh, there are extremist misogynistic politicians like Donald Trump trying to keep women down. Uh, there are uh, horrible, just eminently disastrous, calamitous uh, environmental problems that are going to uh, pollute and toxify their children and make them incapable of growing up, if not just end the world uh, as we know it. Uh, there are uh, racists afoot who are trying to uh, uh, shut down uh, the lives of all of the non white women. I mean, I could go on and on and on about all of the fear mongering and manipulation that's been going on now for decades. And so I think women came into this pandemic of fear a year ago really primed to not act in a protective, emotionally uh, helpful way but to become hysterically overprotective and to ignore real risks uh, because they were sold uh, this uh, life-threatening falsehood risk that their children are all gonna get infected and die of this Wuhan virus if they don't get shots. And so the women just uh, reacted to this because they were primed to. And unfortunately, um, men have been years as well, cowed into not responding, into not pushing back against these lies, into saying, you know, most men are good to their wives, their spouses, uh, their daughters, their sisters. They're not rapists. Uh, they're not misogynists. Um, most uh, of our environmental problems are, are actually pretty well contained, at least in this country, not in the third world, but certainly in the U.S., uh, we don't have systemic racism in the United States. Most people really get along pretty darn well if they're left on their own devices. Um, and a lot of men are just not willing to stand up and push back against it uh, because it, it costs them. Honestly, the reason why we don't have more courage right now among men in the U.S. is they don't want to pay the price. They don't want to be uh, at risk of losing income, uh, being fired from their job, being ostracized from their family or friends, being canceled in their social media accounts, uh, being thought of as being immoral or bad. Uh, so they give in to what they're being told and they pay a terrible long-term price in exchange for having a, a short-term uh, free ride. And this just destroys absolutely destroys the ability of uh, people to get along of Americans to, uh, to push forward, to continue the tradition of freedom and courage and growth that we've sustained for so many years. And now in particular, it is what is generating uh, the, the train that's just going right over the cliff of pushing vaccines on children. Um, I don't think this started last month, even last year. I think this has been long, long, long in the making. And I think people in power, in different power locuses have seen this as a, a wonderful opportunity to just take it to the next level.
1: No, I think you're correct. And there's actually, A a great deal of background information on that very point in Dr. Peter Bregan's new book, COVID 19 and the Global Predators We Are the Prey. And the reason I'm bringing that up in this context is that Dr. Bregan is a psychiatrist who has taken on abuses in the field of psychiatry over his career in confronting. Psychosurgery and getting that banned. He took on abuses in ECT therapy when proper protocols were not being followed, probably before your time, Dr. McDonald, because he's in his 80s. He also investigated the pharmaceutical industry about the, the falsehoods in some of the um, studies on antidepressants, for example talking back to Prozac, was one of his early books. And I've known of his work for since the 1980s, but he uh, has done an incredible job digging into documenting the planning that has gone into all of this, including the long-term planning on these experimental biological agents that actually are genetic agents, not traditional vaccines. And so for our listeners who would like more information about how organized this has been and how long it has been going on, I have read every line of that book. And in fact, Dr. McCullough and I and Dr. Zelenko wrote introductions for it because it's a very powerful and well-researched document that chronicles all of this. And so I think your points about the campaign of fear, about the longstanding um, polarization and divisiveness that has been going on. I remember in the sixties when I was in college and then we began looking at, cause I'm older than you are obviously. And I was looking at all of the negative comments about men that were coming from the whole feminist movement. And that had not been my experience growing up. I grew up with brothers. I, I like guys, I, you know, I've had positive relationships with men, this is, but these negative views that you talked about are, are very much have permeated the culture literally since the late 60s.
2: I didn't mention the feminism, but it's completely, um, utterly unavoidable. Uh, And irrefutable that the source of much of what I just mentioned uh, came from the second, third and fourth wave feminists uh, after the Second World War, uh, beginning with the comment or belief that uh, men are really not necessary, that women can basically live on their own without them, uh, which is utter nonsense. Women need men just as men need women. And then that evolved further uh, as we see now today, certainly in the last 10 or 15 years, that men are not only unnecessary, but actually toxic. Uh, toxic masculinity is just another way of saying that, that men are toxic, uh, period. And if you grow up believing that, or at least being bathed in it, men are not necessary, in fact, men are toxic, why on earth would you look towards a man to be of assistance to you in some way, to complement you um, and your strengths, when all that they can offer you is at best some kind of uh, feeble, um, feminized version of masculinity, which is not attractive to women in any way, in any relationship, or even worse, some uh, overbearing, aggressive, nasty, uh, woman-hating, woman-destroying kind of perverse masculinity, which of course would be threatening and would need to be defended against. This is by and large uh, how men have been um, treated, uh, described, um, how they have been um, brought up really for themselves and for women for quite some time. And I think that uh, to, to not face that and to not speak about it directly um, prevents a, a really important conversation from happening about how men and women today need to face this uh, vaccination campaign it's such a big, big, big topic that goes way beyond the vaccines. And as you say, really precedes even my generation uh, all the way back to the the sixties and seventies.
1: No, that that is true. And that is something that I'm grateful that that you are participating as a member of the advisory council for our foundation initiatives, truthforhealth.org is the new organization focused on bringing these issues into the public arena, starting through churches and community groups, but also through many other avenues with international webinars. And I'm grateful that we're going to have your voice as part of our efforts to address some of these huge issues that go beyond the pandemic, go beyond the vaccine program, and look at the fragmentation of the delivery of health and medical services across the board. So that is going to be important. How can our listeners find out more about your work? Is there a website you would like to refer them to?
2: I post most, if not all of my interviews, anything I write and other what I consider to be relevant and uh, well Uh, documented uh, publications by other colleagues that I respect and admire on my Facebook page, which one can get to either through my website, which is markmcdonaldmd.com or directly on Facebook itself. uh, And the site is markmcdonaldmd.com. So one can go to my website and click through the link to my Facebook page, or just go to Facebook and type in markmcdonaldmd.com. That's where most of my postings go. I also do have a Twitter account, uh, which is M, first letter of my first name, Mark, M McDonald, MD, where I uh, post uh, shorter, easier reads uh, and, and uh, comments about more timely uh, events that I think are important to look at uh, right away. Um, some of that is censored. Uh, some of it gets taken down, uh, but about 50 or 60% stays up. On the twitter feed and also on the facebook page but it's hit or miss (laughs) and it seems to every every week i get a message saying hey i love that interview that you had posted two weeks ago i can't find it anymore then i see that it was flagged for misinformation and was removed so I, i i can't vouch for everything still being up but but i most of it slips through for some time
1: okay well i'm glad that our listeners have a way to reach you and i just thank you for being here today Listeners need to pay attention. Myocarditis is a potential life-threatening complication of the vaccines occurring in children. You need to take it seriously. If your child has not been vaccinated, do your due diligence. Find out more about this heart inflammation that can set your child up for lifetime medical problems. And we will have more information about this also at truthforhealth.org. Welcome to Voice of a Nation today, Dr. McDonald. Thank you for all of your invaluable information and insights. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. Signing off for today, parents and Americans, get loud, get involved, and start speaking out. This is your life, your children's life, and your freedom at stake. Welcome to the second hour of Voice of a Nation today. We are continuing our discussion of the serious medical issues facing children with the vaccines and this extreme manipulation of mothers through fear To allow children to make major life-threatening medical decisions, often without parental consent, often as young as down to age 12 in some states. And terrifying mothers with the propaganda that your children will die if you don't get this experimental vaccine oh, and by the way, it may cause heart damage or death or infertility of your children, but it's more important that you be afraid that they may die and jump in to an experimental vaccine with no safety data in children. This is a staggering departure from the medical ethics, the normal FDA regulatory process, Health guidelines, medical guidelines, physician common sense, and even parental common sense. Most parents have not put their children in unknown situations where safety was not known. And yet, here we see mothers being terrified, literally terrified, that their children will die if they don't get this experimental vaccine, and fathers are passive and not taking the lead in many families across America because the mother is so pushed by the massive fear generated in the media and all of these alarmist statements. COVID-19 is a common cold illness in children. It is not causing deaths. It is not dangerous to children, and yet mothers are being told that it is. So today, as our guest on Team Nation for the second hour of Voice of a Nation, we have the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, Dr. Michelle Critella. So this is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, also a practicing physician, interviewing another practicing physician and executive director of the largest organization representing pediatricians, parents, and children in the United States. Dr. Michelle Critella is a pediatrician and has also, in addition to her role now as executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, she has been a past president of the American College of Pediatricians, and also prior to that served on the board of directors. She has chaired the Adolescent Sexuality Committee, Pediatric Psychosocial Development Committee, and Scientific Policy Committees, in the time that she was on the board. She became one of the American College of Pediatrics' Pediatricians, chief researchers, writers, and spokesperson. She is regularly consulted by Breitbart News, FRC, One News Now, Relevant Radio, Fox News, and many, many others. We are so honored to have Dr. Patella with us today particularly with her 50,000-foot view as the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, to talk about the enormous issues facing parents and children in our country. Dr. Critella received her medical degree in 1994 from the University of Connecticut School of Medicine and then completed internship and residency in pediatrics at the Connecticut Children's Medical Center in Hartford, Connecticut. She completed a fellowship in college health through the University of Virginia in 1999. Dr. Critella practiced pediatrics with a special interest in behavioral health for 15 years. She serves on the advisory board of the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice and Scientific Integrity, which is a national organization of health professionals who advocate for psychotherapy for Ego-Dystonic Homosexuality and Gender Dysphoria. She's a member of the Catholic Medical Association and a member of the John Paul II Academy for Human Life and the Family. She has served on the board of directors of the National Association for Research and Therapy for Homosexuality from 2010 to 2015. Dr. Cretella and her husband are proud, review, proud parents of for grown children. Yeah, I guess you review their activities as well as you review the medical activities, Dr. (laughs) Crudin. So perhaps that uh, slip up wasn't all bad or inaccurate. (laughs) Welcome to our show today.
5: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee. It's wonderful to be here.
1: Well, I, I just am especially pleased to have your broader perspective to join us. We we interviewed Dr. Mark McDonald, a child and adolescent adult psychiatrist in Los Angeles in the first hour. And he talked about the very serious risk and the escalating numbers of children with myocarditis Mm -hmm. who are being admitted to intensive care units in the Central California area. He actually has talked personally with several of the ICU nurses who are just stunned by the severity of the heart inflammation following the experimental vaccines and the seriousness of the heart damage in these children. And as you know, and I know, myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart lining and muscle, pericarditis, myocarditis, these are inflammations of the heart that can be caused by viruses or the spike protein of the vaccine. And for our listeners to understand, myocarditis doesn't normally occur in children. It's normally something that hits older people, particularly those with heart disease. So as a pediatrician and executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, Tell us more about your concerns from the big picture view.
5: Exactly. I I think what you said is is so critical for lay people to understand is that myocarditis is not typically a pediatric condition. I, I can't even remember seeing a case of myocarditis. Uh, in a young child, even during my training. I mean, this this is, it, it can happen, but it is extremely rare. And what we are witnessing now are cases occurring within days of particularly um, young, young males, boys, teen boys um, completing their vaccination. Um, so there's no question that this is causative. It's not merely a correlation. Um, and what it what was so upset it was so upsetting to me to see virtually all of the mainstream medical organizations line up right next to the CDC and say oh yeah myocarditis yeah it's it's definitely related to the vaccine in fact the FDA is going to issue you know this this warning attached to it but oh nothing to worry about nope nope proceed proceed keep keep get the jab
1: you know i i mean it's the, funny.
5: The, the, mm-hmm. It was stunning because these kids who, we're seeing the one, they're, they're getting hospitalized. This isn't a minor thing, they're getting hospitalized. 20% of them have reduced heart function. And even when they recover from the myocarditis, they'll need to be on heart failure drugs and have no physical activity for three to six months to try to prevent permanent heart damage. So it, it's not just getting through that initial myocarditis episode. I mean, the, the myocarditis itself has lifelong consequences. I mean, this is a major big deal and this, it's being completely I ignored.
1: I, I think you're right. It's it's not only ignored, it it is deliberately being minimized and you and I as practicing physicians know that myocarditis and, and, the, and its sister pericarditis, pericarditis for our listeners is the inflammation of the lining around the heart. Myocarditis refers to muscle, myo, and myocarditis means the inflammation damage to the whole heart muscle which is the pumping organ that gets blood to the body. And, you know, I think sometimes parents are like the deer in headlight with the medical terms and don't really realize what this means. This is like being dependent on water from a well for your house to have water to live. And suddenly the pump to the well goes bad and can't pump the water. That's what's happening when the heart muscle is damaged with this inflammation. The pump function of the heart can't pump blood as well. And it sets up the child for constant problems with impaired stamina. The heart doesn't pump. You start having all kinds of complications. And maybe you can describe some of those. But, but these are young children who shouldn't be seeing heart damage at that age. And suddenly they're now in their, you know, tweens and teens and right. adult having Particularly heart
5: Particularly, as, as you pointed out at the, at the start of this program, there are many schools across the nation that are um, allowing uh, children as young as 12 to consent to these vaccines without parental consent or notification, which is just incredibly shocking. And so to have a healthy 12, a healthy 12 year old boy become fully vaccinated and develop myocarditis, his life will be forever changed. He, he won't be able, uh, you know, he, he, won't be able to have a typical, uh, athletic, uh, childhood potentially. I mean, I mean, you go from being a healthy 12 year old boy to, Suffering, um, suffering from a disease that typically, you know, is more typical first of a seventy-year-old. Um, this, this is life. It's a life-altering condition. Whereas the COVID virus itself is not an emergency in children. Tell I mean, us we, about you, that. Please. The vast majority of children who contract the the COVID-19 virus will essentially have what amounts to the common cold. They will get over it. And we understand now this is in part because children have a much lesser, lower concentration of um, ACE2 receptors. So the receptors necessary for the virus to actually attach to, to, in, to invade the body, they're in much lower concentrations in children versus adults. And that is um, that in addition to the fact that children also have antibodies to other common cold coronaviruses. And so there's cross protection. There's a lot of cross protection found in children more so than adults um, immune wise. So. It it just truly amazes me um, how successful the the propaganda machine has been in instilling fear in mothers, which you alluded to at the beginning as well. I, I had an ICU nurse call me one night because her son had a compound fracture of his arm that needed I need, you know, they, they needed to go to the ER so that he could have that compound fracture reduced by an orthopedist. Um, she's, she gets into the children's ER. Oh my gosh. It is so packed here. There are so many people and my son, he, you know, he's 16. He hasn't had the COVID vaccine yet. Should I, maybe we should go home. Uh, will it hurt him if I take him home, keep him home overnight and just come back early in the morning when there's the crowds are less. Do not worry about. He is a fully healthy young man with a normal immune system. His problem now is the compound fracture. COVID nineteen is not going to hurt him. I mean, it was it was just stunning because this was a mother who, as I said, ICU nurse, and um, yet she was utterly afraid that her son could. Contract COVID nineteen and die from it just from being around people in the children's ER.
1: Wow, and she is an ICU nurse who may well have seen cases of myocarditis coming into her ICU. Mm. I, I mean, yeah, I I'm shocked. In fact, I had, I had a conversation with the father of one of my adolescent patients, and. He was uh, the adolescent young woman already has significant ovarian problems and the vaccine. We know the experimental vaccines concentrate in the ovaries in young women who've been vaccinated and can cause ovarian damage and infertility. We've we've seen the results of the biodistribution study that was requested by the Japanese government that was recently translated into English. And, and so I said to the father, and, and I had explained it to the daughter as well, you absolutely, the vaccine is contraindicated for you. You already have ovarian damage that is affecting your potential fertility and your hormone production. You cannot risk any further inflammation or complications affecting your ovaries. And the mother was still pressuring the daughter to get the vaccine, Because the mother is afraid that her daughter will get sick and die of COVID, in spite of all the reassurances that it's not serious in young people. And we can treat it. I mean, totally ignoring the fact that.
5: You're right. You're right. I mean, we know the risk of dying, the risk of young people, the risk of them dying from COVID is less than 0.003%. It, it's less than the risk of dying from the flu. And on top of it, as you pointed out, there are treatments far better than what we have for the flu. Um, now, I, as far as I know, these treatments have been used, again, because children are generally, generally do very well with the virus itself and um, the studies, all the studies that I've seen for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine have, um, have been in adults, but there is no question that the multi drug therapy using um, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C. Um, I know you could you have certainly treated many yourself and could speak to the to those protocols. Um, well, if yeah. need be, you know, I, I'm if need be, if we had a child with um, comorbid conditions who was struggling, go with. Go with repurposed medications that have a safety record. Do not go with an experimental genetic vaccine that has been associated that is being associated with thousands of deaths across the country as well as blood clots and myocarditis.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And for our listeners to understand, Although most of the current studies on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and the combination medications we use in the early treatment in the first three or four days of symptoms, those have primarily focused on adults because adults are the ones who get sick, typically over 50. But in a child with obesity, diabetes, and asthma, for example, where they may be more at risk of a serious Illness with COVID, it, we do have safety data on use of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin in children because both of those medicines have been used for decades around the world to treat correct malaria and in for and, and mm-hmm. to treat malaria in young children, including infants. And also, ivermectin is used in many countries where parasites are a problem, particularly in children. So ivermectin has been safely used in children for decades as well. So while we don't, I mean, people, children don't get so sick with COVID that they need treatment, but we have data on the safety of the medicines. And we all know that budesonide, the inhaled corticosteroid or nebulizer, is used in asthma in children already. Oh Yes, yes. That's not new. And we use steroids in children when they have asthma. So most of the medicines on our multi-drug early combination treatment for COVID are all medicines that pediatricians use in other childhood disorders.
5: Exactly. They are repurposed. They do have a track record of use in children, um, albeit not in the uh, COVID situation. But given the, tr- the safety track record we have in other situations, it makes complete sense to go that route, the route of the early treatment with the repurposed medications in a child at risk um, versus an experimental genetic uh, vaccine.
1: Well, that's true. and. What parents often don't realize, and especially mothers who are, are literally manipulated into exaggerated fear of the common cold, which is, as you said, and I've said, and other many other experts have pointed out, the data worldwide shows that COVID-19 is no worse than the common cold in a child. Yes, But mothers have been made to feel so... Uh, hysterical about it, and and I don't use that in a pejorative way about no, mothers. No. Mm-hmm. I'm using it in the way that mothers have been manipulated to re- with hysteria in the media, fear and hysteria in the media, and some of the public health officials deliberately knowing the the reality that COVID-19 is not a serious illness in children. They are ginning up the fear on purpose to drive women to use their protective instincts for their children in a, what becomes a destructive way.
5: It, that is very well stated, absolutely. Um, the, other, the other aspect of this um, propaganda campaign, you know, this this isn't a public health uh, a, a public health campaign. It is a propaganda campaign um, to get kids jabbed. Uh, the, the Biden administration is actually collaborating with corporations to bribe children to take the vaccine. They're they're offering free Xboxes and and 20 five dollar gift cards to to children. Uh, talk about unethical. I mean I mean it's just. It, it just boggles, it boggles my mind. It, it's, I can't believe that more physicians aren't speaking out against this.
1: In addition to what you've said about the medical ethics being violated and also FDA regulations being violated, legal principles are being violated as well. In massive ways. It has been against the law in the United States and most civilized countries for as long as we've had the rule of law, and more so since World War II, following the heinous crimes against humanity in the Holocaust with experimentation on prisoners of war in the Nazi concentration camps. The Nuremberg Code provided guidelines for all countries to follow that we do not experiment on human beings without their consent. And we certainly don't force it or coerce it or bribe people. And that is exactly what is happening. I'm going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We are continuing our discussion on fear as the weapon to force vaccination in children in violation of all of our medical, ethical, and legal principles. We are talking with Dr. McDonald in the first hour and Dr. Critella in the second hour. And we'll be right back on Voice of a Nation.
0: Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com.
3: Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with the struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep, with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support, delivered in a patent pending pill free ultra absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply. And wake up refreshed with Healthy Cells REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com. H E A L T H Y C E L L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
4: AmericaOutLoud.com is the alternative from the agenda driven globalist. Here, We take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all.
6: never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called ShopToTheRight.com. And it's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together. And we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans.
1: This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host, back with the second hour of Voice of a Nation, continuing our discussion with Dr. Michelle Critella, who is the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. And we are discussing the enormous threat to children's safety, welfare, and health with this massive fear campaign targeting mothers to push their children to get vaccinated with experimental genetic vaccines that are causing increasing problems with serious heart inflammation and hospital admission, even death, and long-term risk of heart damage. Dr. Critella, thank you for being with us for the second hour. Tell us more about what you are seeing with the responses of other medical groups. What are what do you see any physician groups trying to do to stop the massive vaccine mandate and this fear campaign?
5: I am receiving inquiries from um, concerned family physicians and pediatricians, Unf- Fortunately, the, the leadership of most um, medical organizations seems content to, um, maybe content is the wrong word. Perhaps it's fearful of questioning the party line because cancel culture um, is quite brutal within medicine uh, right now. Um, Increasingly, I think the leadership will have to step up uh, if the member, you know, or members will go, uh, will speak out themselves. But the big concern we have is number one, letting the public understand that COVID 19 is not an emergency for children. Number two, um, these genetic vaccines have at least. Three uh, grave concerns uh, that uh, would be particularly harmful to children. Number one, it is very likely that taking these vaccines will result in disease enhancement, antibody disease enhancement, meaning a young person, anyone who gets the vaccine, the f- following uh, season when they are now exposed to the virus in nature because of receiving the vaccine their body will suffer worse harm from that virus. Um, The immune uh, the cytokine storm will actually be worse in those who are vaccinated And, and already there's at least one study that found, and it came out of the UK, those who were vaccinated had six times the death rate from the Delta variant as compared to those who were not vaccinated. So antibody disease enhancement is a very real uh, possible negative consequence that the younger you are, that means the the longer you, get, the, the more opportunities you have to get reinfected or uh, by the virus, and each time you get see that virus again, you'll have a worse and worse response to it. Number two, as you alluded to, we know from the biodistribution studies that were uh, recently translated from uh, from Japan that the lipid nanoparticles carry the vaccine. Uh, to high concentrations in the ovaries. So that is serious implications for uh, ovarian damage and infertility. Um, and number three, we're, we're, we've spoken about in the short term, the increased risk for myocarditis. There's also increased risk for blood clots, um, strokes, pulmonary embolisms. These have been uh, reported in young women in particular, and um, it's passive reporting, right? It's it's the vaccine adverse events reporting system, uh, the VAERS system. It's it's what we have in the United States, uh, and reliable studies have indicated that this passive reporting system only picks up perhaps one percent of adverse events. So. We need to get the word out to parents especially that um, these genetic vaccines are more dangerous than the COVID virus, particularly
1: for children. I think that is a critically important message and I don't see very many medical organizations addressing it as an organization, which I find shocking. And I also am seeing and hearing from my own patients who, who are parents that they're getting told by their local primary care doctors and pediatricians, oh, definitely um, get the vaccines, get the vaccines. I don't think parents are being given a balanced risk benefit assessment to list the risk you've just talked about. And I will add to what you said about the infertility risk in girls, but we're also concerned about that in boys because the testicles in boys and men are an organ that is rich in the ACE2 receptors that the spike protein binds to. So we're seeing testicular pain and inflammation in adolescent males that, and, and college-age males that are getting the vaccine, which is damaging to the testicle. So you're looking at the potential for infertility on the male side, as well as the female side, which is a massive problem when you're talking about no one is even telling the parents that that's a possibility,
5: correct? And I, you know, I, I think um, the most frightening thing. I think most physicians are good and well-meaning, but between group think, I think a lot of physicians fall prey to group think and also fear of, of cancel culture. Um, most of the physicians I know are no longer practicing independently. They are in large group practices or hospital-owned practices in which you're basically paid to perform, see X number of patients, you know, see a new new patient every 10, 15 minutes. Well, and and your whole, that's not being a real physician. You can't, you are being so pressured to produce, like a technician instead of a true physician, um, that it just becomes easier to just trust the experts and just oh yeah they know what they're doing and and I'm going to promote the party line. Um, it, it's it, unfortunately um, I I think that has a lot to do with the um, lack of. Um, voices calling for true informed consent. I,
1: I think you are correct. And in fact, I've actually had discussions with a number of primary care physicians for some of my patients, particularly in other states, but also here in Arizona and Texas, where my practices have been focused. And what what many of them are saying, and it's exactly right, they work for large groups practices run by administrators and bean counters.
6: Mm. They,
1: they are these large group outpatient practices are owned by hospital systems. And most, most patients don't fully realize that their primary care doctor's practice is owned by the hospital system. Right. Well, the hospital has the financial incentive to drive patients to be inpatients in the hospital, not outpatients in the primary care setting. And so policies that are put in place by hospital administrators and medical practice administrators who are business and accounting people, not physicians, are directing doctors not to treat COVID as an outpatient early, not to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. I've actually had doctors telling me You are going to have to prescribe. I'm independent. I don't work for a large organization. And I resigned from insurance contracts in 1986 because they were making me choose between the patient and the insurance guidelines and I wouldn't do it. So I've practiced totally independently in medicine since 1986. And I have always said I answer to God and I answer to my patients and that's it. But I find that the doctors are telling me Dr. Vliet, you're going to have to prescribe for our mutual patient because I am not allowed to prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. I mean, that's mind boggling to me.
5: Yes. Yes. But that that's becoming the reality. That's that's the reality for uh, perhaps the majority of of physicians uh, this day, um, these days. And I think, um, you know, and as far as cancel culture, we see it certainly with the uh, with the transgender issue. physicians who uh, refuse to prescribe transgender hormones for children uh, can end up being fired for that. Um, and I think we are seeing the same uh, sort of pressure being applied to um, physicians who, are embracing more of an informed consent uh, and, and advocating against children getting the vaccine. Um, uh, I know certainly there's, there's one uh, well-known uh, surgeon and, and medical uh, professor who was recently fired um, in, in, uh, in Canada, um, fired from Canada and the U.S. As I said, I've encountered many individual physicians uh, trying to sound the alarm. I'm not aware of anyone in the US being fired yet, but those who do sound the alarm get a lot of pushback and some are marginalized, so.
1: Well, what, what can you, from your perspective in behavioral health and working on the various large committees, trying to find balance and reason and common sense and sanity in all of these um, pushes for such outrageous um, changes in our approaches to children's health, what are some things that you can suggest for parents to do to stand up against the pressure and advocate properly for their children? Um. I have,
5: so I, I have been encouraging um, parents. I, I heard a lot from parents who are concerned about the vaccine mandates um, being pushed by, um, I think we're up to just over 500 colleges and universities right now. So um, I've encouraged those parents to um, stand firm in their, um, you know, telling them, yes, science is on your side. I tend to send them to America's Frontline uh, Doctors website. um, And I've referred them to uh, Liberty Council, lc.org, lc.org, because no one can, including the universities, they do not have the legal right to mandate the, any of these vaccines right now. They are under emergency use authorization only. Um, and Liberty Council is a pro bono um, legal organization that stands for faith, family, Christian values, rights of conscience, um, constitutional law. And they are working with an, um, a number of families helping them push back uh, against the mandates at the college level um, so that that is um, how I've been advising uh, those parents um, and just reassuring parents that no physician can force you, uh, to leave your child alone with them. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we're, we're seeing examples of, of schools holding vaccination clinics without parental consent. But, um, you know, so I think just encouraging parents to maintain that open communication with their child and to just reassure them that, um, yeah, your parental rights are God given. No one can take them away from you. Don't give them away. Um, continue to stand up for your child, just uh, continue to push back if you're you know, in the office and the pediatrician or family physician is trying to um, push the vaccine on your child, firmly refuse um, the, for, for the obvious reason. These are still experimental. There are bad side effects being reported and my child is healthy it's not a threat to my child. Um, I think you just, as a parent, it's very hard, but you stand firm and there's nothing that, you know, You a, a physician cannot
1: report you to Child Protective Services for that. Well, that is an excellent message. Let's reiterate that. The vaccines, the genetic vaccines in particular, which are the These, only ones available. Correct. Are experimental. They're
5: they still experimental children. in children. They are still experimental. Um, they are actively being, they are being associated with law with very dangerous long-term side effects. And, you know, and, and number three, my child is, you know, COVID-19, the virus is not a threat to my child.
1: Well, so, it, I mean,
5: those are the, you know, the top, the top three. And you could see it it, it can be in any, you know, COVID-19, the virus is not a threat to my child. These vaccines are experimental. And number three, they are associated with some very serious long-term side effects.
1: I have a question. Have you thought about putting out a one-page flyer for parents with those talking points? How to talk to your doctor about your child's no? that sounds like an excellent idea.
5: <laughs> you know? I am. Um, yes. I'm, um, I'm in pro- I am in process, um, of, um, with a COVID-19 task force of, of pediatricians, um, trying to put together some, some resources. First, a, a, a statement, um, a statement and, and resources, um, and it's, it's proving to be a, a little bit of a challenge again, because just as parents have been effectively propagandized, so have many busy pediatricians and, and uh, family physicians. It's, it's um, difficult to, you have to um, engage physicians and get them to go directly to the primary science to look beneath what the CDC is saying and to look beyond, to look beneath and beyond what the CDC is saying. Um, uh, But there is a a definite need for that. And um, if I and like-minded pediatricians have to do it on our own, then that's what we will do.
1: Well, I have a suggestion. Mm. You are part of a new organization on the advisory council, Truth for Health. And the whole initiative of this 501c3 public charity is to provide truthful, factual, medically sound information for people across this country and the world to be able to make informed health decisions. So I would suggest that you and some of your leading pediatricians that have similar concerns, which are extremely valid and urgently needed. Prepare the one page guide for parents. You know, there was a book Very nice. mm. years ago. I'm going to tell a brief story and come back to this point. Um, but years ago, there was a, a brilliant book by Dr. Peter Bregan called Talking Back to Prozac. And <laughs> I think that you and some pediatricians, like-minded, concerned pediatricians, should prepare one-page flyer talking back to the vaccine and the experimental vaccine and that flyer can be de- pu- can be published on truthforhealth.org website sent out as a newsletter to any organizations that we all connect with and it can also be an initiative of Catholics for Preservation of Life which you are also involved with that sounds wonderful <laughs>
5: <laughs> the hell so, true true
1: <laughs> you've just got a vehicle to get the flyer for parents talking points for parents the genetic vaccines are still experimental the risk are deadly dangerous and long-lasting infertility is a serious concern for boys and girls my child is healthy COVID-19 is not a risk that's for right children. that's right I I think I think this show today has just created messaging that our listeners heard for the first time, but we can get it out to a wide range of people through your leadership. And I, and I think this organization, both the Truth For Health Foundation that you're part of and American College of Pediatricians, to the extent that the board agrees could publish this information as resources for parents who are desperate to know what truth is.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And you know, you are a member of Catholic Medical Association. You've been very active in major initiatives to preserve life and health as God designed us, not as, um, progressives and socialists and Marxists are right. trying to redesign the human body. Exactly. And and I, I wondered if you could speak to some of those issues for our faith-based listeners, both Catholics and Protestants, who are very concerned about these ominous trends in our culture that are particularly uh, warping the minds of children.
5: Right, um, sure. I, Briefly, um, it it's frightening to me how many Christians, in particular, um, do not recognize that uh, the transgender revolution um, is completely at odds with Christianity. Um, so transgenderism is it's not science; it's a belief; it's a cult. In fact, transgenderism is the belief that. Every person is conceived with an internal sexed identity, as well as a biological sex. So an internal sexed identity, in other words, everyone's, con- everyone's conceived created with a feminine essence or a masculine essence that may be at odds with their biological sex, that is not science. That is a pagan belief. More specifically, it's the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, the the belief that humans are a um, spiritual physical duality. Whereas the Christian belief is that We are body and soul. A human person is an integration of body and soul. So the transgender movement at its root is an anti-Christian pagan cult movement. Within the medical realm, what we're now seeing, we are now seeing doctors and counselors who should know better um, actually telling parents, oh, Bobby says he's really Susie. Well, if, if he consistently and persistently insists that he's Susie, then that's who he is. And it doesn't matter if Bobby is 18 months old. At 18 months, as young as 18 months, kids know when they're trapped in the wrong body. I mean, this is literally, these are the words coming out of the mouths of pediatricians and they're telling parents, you must affirm them as the opposite sex or else they will commit suicide. And then when these poor toddlers get to, um, so, so you're, you're raising, you're rearing your, your toddler as the opposite sex. How, how, Of course, this is going to reinforce that fantasy or lie or confusion in your child's mind. So by the so by the time they reach ages, the ages of between eight and 12, when most young children between ages of eight and 12 begin to go through puberty, these normal changes in their body will cause psychological distress. And so the quote unquote gender experts say, oh, yes, we must block their puberty put them on Lupron. What I have pointed out is that Lupron, prior to this transgender madness, was used and is still used in many states to chemically castrate rapists. We are, we are chemically castrating normal, healthy little boys and girls with these puberty blockers. Right? Puberty is not a disease. Normally timed puberty is not a disease. It is a critical developmental stage at the physical, emotional, social, psychological, and spiritual levels at all those levels. If you, yeah, yeah go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, if you, we block, we put them, we put these physically healthy, but emotionally vulnerable children on Lupron Um. We are robbing them of normal development. The, the, the gender experts say, oh, well, Lupron is reversible. I say, and I say, not exactly. You put that child age eight, he's on Lupron, let's say he stays on Lupron until age 12. If he comes off Lupron at age 12, Within a year, a year and a half, sure, his pituitary should kick in again, but he has lost four years of normal physical, brain, sexual, and psychosocial development. We don't have a time machine. We cannot go back and give him four years of a normal pituitary, right? He was permanently robbed. By four years of Lupron, he was robbed of normal development, normal growth, normal psychosocial experience. And That's that exactly. is, is what is so criminal about this thing. Um, well, and it, also,
1: yeah. and it also robs boys in particular of the normal testosterone influences on bone right. and muscle. So yes. it's, it's just devastating. I've actually had to use Lupron to treat endometriosis in adolescent mm-hmm. girls. And, and so I, I know full well, the potential damage of endometriosis. And if you treat too long with Lupron in adolescent girls, when you're treating endometriosis, you risk bone loss in adolescent. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think we need to have a whole nother show talking about some of these, um, gender, uh, dysphoria Absolutely, because there's a, issues. That's
5: right. A number, a number of, um, Significant negative consequences, and uh, we're we're going to see an explosion. I mean, it's already begun, but we will see an explosion of especially young women um, waking up and uh, realizing, "Oh my gosh, the, transgenderism is a lie. I I'm I'm still a woman, always was, and now I'm." destroyed I've, I've i've destroyed my body with chemically with testosterone and the blockers and physically gone through uh mutilating surgeries
1: so well let's keep yeah. that in mind for a future show because we're coming to the end today and i i sincerely thank you for taking the time to talk about the massive risk that we're seeing with this push for vaccine mandates in children and we 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 will work together on getting some educational materials out through churches and other community groups to help parents. If the doctors are not standing up, we will find a way to reach the people with truth for the health of our children and families and our future. Dr. Critella, thank you for joining us today on Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. Tune in for more exciting updates and truth about your health on America Out Loud, our platform for truth and for you to get loud and get involved, to stand up for what is right and what is needed to save our country, our families and our future. Thank you for being with us today.